Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. On tonight's show, we get two market experts to look at a group of new age stocks that are showing a bit of potential. To test out this potential, I have Berman Invest Julia Lee and Medallion Financial's Michael Wayne. You will see their contrasting and similar views on particular companies and you make up your own mind whether you think these companies are interesting or not. Then Morgan's Chief Economist Michael Knox looks at where the Aussie dollar is going. He says it's going up, up and away, but how high might it go? And then Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report answers my question, should I hedge my overseas investments? A few years back, I invested in something called the Triple Q, which tracked the NASDAQ index. It really, really went higher, but the Aussie dollar kept going even higher, and it kind of cancelled out the gain. So hedging can be really important when the Aussie dollar goes up. That's the show for the night. So let's get on with Julia Lee to see what she thinks about these new age stocks. So we're catching up with Julia Lee. Julia, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Pete. Yeah, it's great to see you here. And we are three pizza boxes apart as well. Small, medium, or large. <laughs> <laughs> we won't answer that question. Okay. Uh, I've asked you to look at a number of stocks that have been doing reasonably well, um, they're kind of in favour, most of them are. Let's kick off with Elmo first of all. Yeah, I like this one. It is a smaller company, but it's seeing some strong growth. And Elmo is one of those companies that's a software company, but because of the transition to cloud and software as a service, hmm. it's been doing very well. So it's in the area of HR and payroll. Hmm. Um, and look, we've been seeing some strong growth rates coming through in an environment where you know returns are very hard to come by and growth is hard to find. This is a company that's still in the infancy of its growth. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit like Zero when I first discovered them, because Zero is in bookkeeping, which is a much broader base, mm. and Zero has also bolted on lots of businesses, and Elmo is like one of those businesses that could bolt on, but HR and payroll and all that sort of stuff, it's a pretty broad base, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and it's something that most corporations need. So it's good to have a large market, but mm. also it's growing very strongly, not only through organic growth, but through acquisitions, as, as you've mentioned. And especially during COVID-19, it has been one of those ones that has continued to yeah. grow. And I have to confess, I have invested in it, but Michael Wayne put me onto it um, a year or so ago, and you put me onto EML Payments, which has also done very well, and that's, and that's why I bring these people on the show. They're actually good at what they do. All right, another one, interesting one here, and these all come from questions from our Boom, Doom and Zoom show ah, for our subscribers. Yes. We do it every Wednesday, our subscribers for Switch Report. We do a little half-hour show, and these are ones that Paul and I couldn't answer, so we've got you and Michael to answer them. Whisper. Yes, so Whisper is a communications platform, so you can send out SMSs or emails for corporations. And they have some pretty big customers, BHP Billiton, Rio Tinto, Telstra uses them, Australia Post also uses mm. a service. And during COVID-19, some of the government agencies have been using Whisper as well. Once again, something that's been growing quite strongly um, and something that organisations need to, um, I guess, have in their arsenal. They're not just relying on email communications anymore. There's a whole raft of different communications and it brings it all together. Okay. Do you think it's got a future? Yes, I do think it does have a future. I mean, the fact that it's got such big customers out mm, there. Yeah, and I think they sign up for around about three years. I think the minimum package is about $69 from memory a mm. month. Mm. Um, but the, 
most clients spend around about $1,800 a month. So that tells you about the nature of the services and how much people are spending in that area. Okay. Now, this is one of your favourites. When anyone asks about Mesoblast, I <laughs> ask Julia Lee, what, how's this company going? What's its outlook? I always think it sometimes looks fantastic and then it comes off the board and it comes fantastic again. Yeah. What, what's the story? I think when you're looking at biotechnology companies, then you have to have a lot of confidence because it is a volatile ride and Mesoblast certainly is a volatile stock. What I like is that its stem cells work. They already have a product in the market. So Temcell, mm. which they sell into Japan, um, I think the last um, report, they saw $2.1 million worth of revenues there. So on track for around about $8 million worth of revenues mm. just through that product into Japan. And then a whole raft of products coming up. Mm. Uh, the key one that we were watching at the moment, there's two. One is using it in pediatric graphics host and that's uh, due up in August for mm. FDA potential approval so watching that closely and if that is approved then expecting that to be sold into the US from the fourth quarter of this year mm. which would be quite exciting. How aggressive are you in your analysis of a company like Mesoblast? If you've liked it for this early stage, it's got, mm. do you ever feel as though you might give a, you might over talk yourself into it because you got in early or do you maintain a very aggressive analysis and you can just turn around and say it's no longer as good as I thought. Look I think with biotechs there's a long journey before getting to commercialization mm. um, and Mesoblast is at the stage where some of its products are now in commercialization stage or very close to commercialization mm. or in phase three so it's no longer in the phase one mm. and the phase two where you're looking through maybe a 10-year journey but mm. it's coming to that exciting bit when revenues yeah. are coming through. So how many years ago did you just start talking to me about Mesoblast you reckon? A long time. Five, six, seven years? A long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> we did hang out for about 10 years, didn't we? Let's go to a, a really well-known company, Technology One. Yeah, Technology One is one of those companies that has been in the spotlight because of question marks around its accounting. But if you have a look at the core of its business, it's a very stable business. 85% of its business comes from government's healthcare as well as education. So it's an extremely defensive type of business. And then add into the mix that you see very low uh, churn rates coming through. So retention is extremely high. So in the type of market environment where you are seeing uncertainty in earnings, Technology One is one that you would want to hold. Mm. It's very rare to see a pullback, so if you do see a pullback, this is one for the longer term okay. portfolio. Now let's go to a, a company called um, Can Group, and it's in the medicinal cannabis space. Do you ever, ever view on a company like that? Uh, look, it's an Australian company and it's doing exciting things in the area of medicinal cannabis, whether it's oils or flowers. Um, but I think in this area, a lot of other companies over in Canada and US are ahead of us. Yeah. Um, so it is quite a competitive area. It's an emerging area which makes it exciting because mm. it's new and mm. most investors like hearing about new areas. Mm. But if I was to invest in this area, I'd probably go down um, the route of some of those companies which are already better established and have been around for longer. So looking into Canada as well as the so US. So like first mover advantage, bigger companies. Yeah, bigger companies that have been working on it for longer. And in the end, you know, cannabis or growing cannabis is just a um, commodity. It's like growing grain. So at the end of the day, you want the marketing function and to be able to differentiate product. Now this one I didn't know much about at all, Artemis Resources. Yes, this has been around for a while. It's a gold play, and I guess it's a gold, up-and-coming gold play. And 
in, in an environment where gold prices are already at record highs, mm. I think you want to already be producing gold. Yeah. It has a couple of big projects, one where they're working towards a one million ounce uh, project, and the other one which is um, right next to some great resources which are already seeing some, some strong results mm. coming through. So look, it's an explorer in an environment where I think if you're producing, and even if you're a marginal producer, you're going to be seeing some very strong returns. Mm. So in terms of gold at the moment, mm. I would prefer producers rather than explorers, mm. um, only because the price of gold at the moment is soaring. Maybe something if there's a big sell-off of gold to buy and hold and wait for it to actually produce something, but at this point in time, yeah, I, th I think as long as the gold price keeps on rising, you'll probably continue to uh, benefit from the positive sentiment. Mm. However, explorers, you know, you live and die by your drilling results. So mm. it really depends on how those uh, drilling yeah. results go. Not investing, more punting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Julie, is there any stock you've liked this week? Something out of the blue or something you've been watching and it's come good and you say, yes, I like this now? Uh, there's been a number of stocks in our portfolio which have been hitting all-time record highs this month. Okay. So that's been quite exciting. Yeah. Um, everything no, no. from uh, Evolution Northern Star with the gold price yeah. um, reaching record highs, but even things like Appen, uh, we've also seen um, some of the material stocks doing well. So mm. still really liking mineral resources mm. for that iron ore exposure as well as the rise in production. We saw a production report last week where quarterly production was up 54% quarter on quarter. Mm. So when you see price rises and production rising, it's a nice combination to okay. have. One last thing, Julia. You know, the US market's got done really well. The Nasdaq's over where it was before the, the coronavirus. Are you expecting some kind of a pullback, which would be a, a buying opportunity to go forward? Yeah, I mean, pullbacks are perfectly normal for the market in yeah. any given year. I'd expect to see a pullback. When you don't see one, that's when you get a little bit worried that the market's getting a little bit too hot. Mm. Um, so it would be nice to see a pullback given we're in our fourth consecutive month of gains for uh, the market at the moment. Of course, the key here is US earnings season, and this week is going to be huge. We hear from Alphabet, Amazon, some of the big players in the mm. market, as well as Facebook. So that's going to be interesting given that technology has powered so much of the bull run that we've seen so far. Yeah, and the Americans have given a, another spending program the thumbs up. Oh, excellent. Which in many ways. Now, as long as you, the US and China don't fight, the markets, you know, that's right. that's <laughs> looking pretty fights. good. <laughs> Julia Lee, Berman Invest, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, ten years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. So this week, I want to look at some uber cool stocks, stuff in the tech space, even the cannabis space. And we're going to do it with Michael Wayne. And Michael Wayne, of course, is from Medallion Financial. Great to see you, mate. Thanks for having me, Peter. Okay, mate. Some of these questions came to us in our Boom, Doom and Zoom <laughs> show we do for our subscribers to the Switzer Report. Um, but, uh, and others are ones that you know very well. Like, for example, Elmo is a company that you put us onto. Yep. What, what do you like, Elmo, and how's it going now? 
You look for basically, I think, a year and a half we've been on to this one, and it's had moments of glory, and, but it really hasn't broken above that $8 level. Mm. Um, they've been doing okay in recent weeks. They've got a capital raising out of the way, so they're very well capitalised in this period. Yeah. And essentially, they're involved in HR and payroll software services, helping management do their rostering, engaging with their staff, mm. so on and so forth. Um, so basically, any small, medium or large business is a target customer of theirs. Uh, they've been around for close to 20 years now, still got a lot of founder involvement. I think the two founders still own 30, 40% of the shares. Yep. They've got very high margins, great customer retention. Uh, and they've completed, I think, seven acquisitions in recent years. So not only growing organically, but they're going through acquisitions as well. And so far, all those acquisitions have gone really, really well. Uh, they initially withdrew guidance when the coronavirus hit. Um, but then they actually reinstated that guidance and even had a slight upgrade, I think it was, on the EBITDA. So although some customers were deferring their purchasing decisions, whatever they lost on that front, they kind of gained with a lot of businesses with their legacy platforms mm. being forced to migrate into the cloud to keep engagement up with their staff once everyone's working from home. So, so far it seems to be one of those businesses that have actually navigated this even better than they would have otherwise. Yeah, uh, why did the capital raise? Well, they didn't need the money. Um, essentially, they raised money so that gave them the ability to go out and acquire businesses that might be beaten up in this period. Okay. So one of the benefits of management being involved in the industry for so long is they kind of know other businesses. They have people that they might have worked with in the past running other operations. Yep. And also because they're not private equity led, they're not going to be starved of capital throughout this period. So they could well emerge from this period in a stronger competitive position. Hmm. Okay, one company I threw at you was Whisper. Yeah, whispers. So Are you whispers for whisper. Yeah, look, it's getting a bit of uh, like it's getting definitely coming up a lot more now. People have sort of jumped on the bandwagon. It's getting a lot more publicity. Uh, it's an interesting business. We don't own it. It's still quite small, um, but it's involved in providing communication platforms for businesses. So it allows them to engage with their customers. It's called a low code, no code software, mm. which essentially means you don't have to be a tech guru or you don't have to know how to code or back-end mm. code something. It's all that drag and drop. It makes it very easy for marketing teams um, and sales teams, customer relation teams to keep up the contact with updated emails, online messaging, text messaging, all that sort of stuff integrated into yeah. their existing so software. It's not really good at design, that sort of stuff. That's right. Yeah, That's okay. right. So it's a software as a service model, which is all the rage these days. Again, a very high margin business. The, uh, the revenue that they're getting from each customer per year is going up. So not only are they bringing on new customers, their existing customers are spending more. Mm. They're winning a lot of large contracts with people like Coca-Cola, McDonald's, um, government organisations. Mm. And they too have seen their revenue pick up throughout this period as companies continue to try and engage with their customers and their staff through different mediums that they're not usually doing. Do you hold them? No, mm. it's not one that we hold, but one I could probably do some more work on. Yeah, so after reading it, you're right. a little bit interested in it. Okay. That's right. It needs to probably become a bit more liquid, just keep delivering the good numbers and just make sure that this COVID boost isn't just a fleeting moment, but yeah. something more sustainable. Now, Mesoblast, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's been a, a hot and a cold, a hot and a yeah. cold stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Where is it now? Is it hot or cold? Ah, look, I think it's actually been quite hot recently because yeah. of some vague, tenuous link that they might have to COVID. Coronavirus, yeah. Um, but yeah, as, as you point out, it's been a very wild ride for shareholders in Mesoblast over a five, ten year period. Mm. You would have a lot of grey hairs mixed in there, yeah, I think. Or no hair. Or no hair by now. Um, it's one of those ones that always promises to do something. And it's probably, it's probably getting close to that final moment where they either get approval, FDA approval in the US, uh, and also whether or not their latest trial results 
are successful or not. So there's a lot of hard work that's gone into these things, a lot of research and development, and I think that litmus test is just around the corner for them. But essentially, they're looking to provide um, a treatment for a, a chronic heart condition and a chronic heart disease. Big market. Big market. They're looking at COVID-19 as well in, in some respects, and that's probably what's caused the recent run up in price. Mm. But there's, you know, there's thousands of companies globally doing the same sort of thing, so I'll caution shareholders and potential investors are getting too carried away with that link. Yeah, Technology One's a famous name. Yeah. It too can be in and out of favour. Yeah. Where is it now? At the moment, it's out of favour slightly. I mean, it's still $8.50. A few years ago, it was closer to, to $3, $4. So it's been a very good performer over 30 years, I think it's been listed on the yeah. ASX. Mm. Again, there's still some founder involvement with that business, which is a, a thing that we always like. But it's trading at 40, 50 times earnings for a company, it's still a tech business, but not growing that quickly relative mm. to many of these other tech names. Mm. So it's one that we have held in the past, but haven't held it for probably over 12 months now. Mm. Um, it basically provides enterprise software, a lot of local councils, those sorts of things. And once you've installed this software, it's like pulling teeth. You're not gonna change very easily. All your mm. staff have been trained up and you've invested a lot of money into it. Mm. So they do have a very sticky customer base, but they have recently changed the way they account for their research and development. In the past, they would write that research and development off immediately, which would have a negative impact on earnings. They've recently changed that to make things look a little bit better. They have yeah. flagged to the market the reasons behind that. So they grade it over time. But that might be, it might be a sim, a, like a, a sim, symbiotic of the fact that this business is slowing down in terms of its growth numbers. So mm. great Australian tech success story, but not growing as quickly as some of the other alternatives yeah, out Can there. Group is a um, medical, medicinal yeah. ca cannabis company? That's right. So what do you think of that, that sector as a whole had a lot of hype in it a few years ago. Uh, a lot of that hype has come out of it. Look, I'm sure there's some validity to medical cannabis. Mm. Uh, recreational cannabis is going gangbusters overseas as well. But in this infant stage or early stage of this industry, it's very difficult to predict who the winners are going to be. There's mm. such a plethora of names that rush the market to try and take advantage of that hype. But at the moment, there's not many that are very profitable. Uh, and there's not that many that have the right scale. Over time, that might change, but trying to pick those winners now, I think, is very difficult. Mm. Can Group, um, the way that I read it and understand it is they're more of a farmer of cannabis. So they'll grow the cannabis, which they'll then sell on to mm. others in the industry to use in whatever product they're trying to sell. So I see it as being it's no different to a farming business. With very, business yeah, yeah, very volatile. Um, prices fluctuate. Uh, we'll have a very good harvest one year, not so good the next year. Mm. Uh, and there will be other competitors into the market. The interesting thing about Can Group is their largest shareholder is the largest medical cannabis business in Canada, and I think even North America, and they own just slightly under that 20% mark of Can. So potentially down the track, they might just take the whole thing out. But again, it's a, a difficult space to pick. Finally, uh, Artemis Resources, a very small miner. Yep. What, tell us about that. Well, it's a gold explorer uh, with a couple of tenements out in the Pilbara. So normally you associate that with iron ore, but there's yeah. obviously some gold out there as well. Look, it's very, very difficult at this point in time to see this coming off. There's a lot that they've got to get right. Obviously, the gold price has gone gangbusters at the moment, mm. but you want to be a producer, I think, in this environment as opposed to an explorer. By the time they, you know, they find the gold in the ground, they've then got to extract it at good prices, make sure the infrastructure's in place to get it and to hope market. The gold price is and still then hope the gold price in two, three, four, five years time holds out. Yeah. So I think you want to just focus on producers in this environment. There's no need necessarily to go up the risk curve because the gold producers are volatile and risky enough. Yeah. 
Speculation stock. Yeah, Speculation definitely. Stock. Right, Michael, is there any other new stock you come along? Because Elmo was a new one a year or so ago. Yeah. It's done well. Is there a new one you like on your radar screen? Um, I mean, we don't mind push pay. That's been a fairly recent strong performer for mm. us. Um, again, it's one of these tech businesses that's benefited out of the, the COVID situation. Effectively, they provide a platform which helps faith-based organisations such as churches collect their donations. So they keep about one, two percent of the donations. Mm. But it's not just the, the platform for collecting donations. They also provide communication platforms for these churches to engage with their congregations. But if you think about it, with everyone sitting at home or congregation sizes coming under pressure in terms of physical attendance, yeah. donations are now done over these platforms. Um, so the old congregation plate that's being passed around is mm. sort of a thing of the past. And these are these churches in the US where you've got you know thousands of people in this huge evangelicus mm. type uh, environment. So this is an Australian company who's got access to an American That's market. right. It's, all the, it's actually a New Zealand founded business yeah. listed in Australia. Um, basically only operates overseas, um, mainly in North America where they've got the huge yeah. Christian religious um, movement. And they've been doing good things there. They've actually seen the volumes pick up in recent times. Volumes are already moving in the right direction, but they even got a bigger kick with this COVID, which we think will only accelerate that move to the platforms. That's Michael Gable from Medellin Financial. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, as I said earlier, the rising Aussie dollar can undermine some very, very good overseas investments. So let's just see how far or how high the Aussie dollar might go with the chief economist from Morgan's, Michael Knox. The story is, it's on the way up. Michael, thanks for joining us. Great to see you, Peter. Now, I read over the weekend a nice little piece you had linking the Australian dollar to commodities and all that sort of stuff. So I thought I'd ask you the, 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 you know, a couple of key questions, namely, what is going to be the biggest drivers or the biggest drivers on the Aussie dollar over the next few years? Well, in the piece that we did, we looked at the similarities between this cycle um, and the previous cycle, the one that began in 2008-09. Of course, there were enormous differences. Uh, but in both cases, what we saw was an enormous increase in the US budget deficit. Uh, back then, um, we saw a US budget deficit in 2008-09 uh, reach uh, almost 12% of US GDP. Um, and what that did was, uh, uh, as that market, that it provided enormous amount of additional bonds coming forward to the market. And over the following two years, those bonds could only be cleared in the market by the U level of the real exchange rate of the US dollar going down. So about for the next two years, um, peaking in about 20, 2010, 2011, the US dollar went down, Australian dollar went up, commodity prices went up as well. And that's what that area we call the resources boom. Mm. Well, here we are starting a new cycle again. Uh, and now the, um, 
the U.S. budget deficit is even bigger than it was last time. If you add up the uh, relief packages that have so far been passed by the U.S. Congress, and there's more to come, the U.S. budget deficit is now 15.4% of GDP for this year. And that's three times as great as the budget deficit of last year of 4.8% uh, of GDP. In real dollars, the U.S. economy is enormous. It's $21 trillion, almost like real money, Pete. Mm. Uh, but the budget deficit last year was a trillion dollars, and that's 4.8% of GDP. But this year, that budget deficit so far is 3.3 trillion US dollars, and that's 15% of GDP. Okay. Now, so what we yeah. So listening to you, a lot of people who wouldn't understand what you're saying, they would be thinking, and tell me if I'm right, that therefore there's a very good chance the US dollar could go down again and the Aussie dollar could go up. Over the next two to three years, yes. Mm. Uh, what we expect... Uh, in order to clear, because what's what's exchange? Uh, how does an exchange market clear? It clears with um, the volume of bonds that have to be gone through the market, and the relative interest rates. Now here we are in a situation very unusually, where both the Federal Reserve and uh, and the Australian Reserve Bank have told us they're going to keep interest rates pretty flat for three years. Yeah. Um, the RBA even has a target on three-year bonds and you know, the yield of three-year bonds. And uh, so interest rates aren't going to move much. You've got this big volume of bonds uh, that have to be cleared, of US bonds anyway. But So what we anticipate is we'll have an extended period, two to three years, where the US dollar has to go down, which in turn will allow the Aussie dollar to go up and uh, commodity prices to go up. Now, we don't know exactly how big this effect is because we don't know yet what the final US budget deficit numbers for this year. Mm. We don't know yet what the um, Australian budget deficit number is for this year. We haven't got the budget. We will have it. Um, and we don't know what size the euro area budget deficit is uh, for this year. All of these numbers will really only become available probably uh, well into October. So then we'll be able to get a, a closer angle on what's happening. But given that the process has started in the same way as it did in the GFC, except bigger, uh, we think we're going to wind up in... Uh, move in the direction, but not just work, wind up in exactly the same place, but near enough. Okay, well, you brought me back in time, that, that little story, because I went to... Um, I took my television program to New York in 2011, 2012, and boy, it was great having a very valuable Australian dollar in the USA. Do you see it going to those levels, $1.10, $1.12? Do you see that kind of thing happening, Michael, or do you think it would be uh, much more subdued? Well, um, the Australian dollar has actually become more important as an international currency over the last 10 years. What's been really interesting in the RBA uh, intervening in the bond market is that they only had to buy uh, about $40 billion worth of bonds. Then the private sector came in, the international buyers came in and aggressively bought Australian bonds mm. uh, to finance our deficit. So there's a really big demand for that. And as a result of that, the level of the Aussie dollar has been much more, is now much more determined by the size of the Australian budget deficit as it's not just the US budget deficit. Mm. So we, we're going to have to wait 
until we get actual num you know, numbers from the budget, uh, final numbers from the uh, Congressional Budget Office for the financial year, that sort of thing. But it's 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 of the same order that we were we moved last year. But the number we just aren't don't have enough detail to be able to call a number. But it'll be yeah, it'll be a major rally in the US dollar a major fall in the US dollar, a major rally in Australian export commodity prices, mm. exactly where we haven't got enough data yet to, to be able to sell. So, so but, uh, it made me think that you wouldn't be surprised to see the Aussie dollar get into the 80s. Uh, I would be, um, I'd be surprised if it didn't. Mm. Okay, that's, that's a really good point, mate. Now, you also made a tip a few months ago that there's a distinct possibility that we could be looking at a rerun of the night of the 20th century's roaring 20s in the 21st century. Do you still think? Yeah. Do you still think that's a rough chance? Well, it's. Um, I mean, gee, I mean, it should happen. Hemingway needs to go to Paris <laughs> and drink with Scott Fitzgerald. I mean, hell, yeah. I, and I want to be there. Yeah. I want to be yeah, there. You, you uh, could you could do a Hemingway impersonation. Well. Well, I, I'm not quite sure. Uh, if you can do Scott Fitzgerald, I can do Hemingway. Okay, right, yeah. However, um, what actually happened in the 1920s was a lot of new technology got absorbed, and, uh, particularly in the US economy, uh, new forms of manufacturing, uh, new ways of doing things. So really, it's the uh, ability of the economy to absorb new technology. So we've all discovered that we can work from home now in ways that we didn't uh, we didn't know before. So that there is, and we we are right now using a technology uh, for this for this chat, mm. uh, which was hardly used at all a year ago. Yeah. Uh, so what we think is, yes, we're going to see, well, we've got an enormous amount of money here uh, supporting growth over the next couple of years to kick this thing off. Um, and uh, we've got new technologies to absorb. So every chance, every chance, um, uh, but of course, uh, we we probably in Queensland we certainly won't have prohibition. Okay. Now, one last one, and this to me seems like a very important issue for Wall Street. Wall Street re remains very optimistic, and I, I know, you know, you don't fight the Fed, but it seems to me that there's a, a very high expectation that a vaccine is going to come along sooner rather than later which is supporting a lot of optimism, both in the stock market and ultimately for an economic recovery. And I know you're also a person who would not ignore something important like the likelihood of a vaccine um, showing up uh, sooner rather than later. What's your view on vaccines? Well, there are many uh, coronaviruses in circulation uh, in Australia, and most of them that contribute to the common cold, but we don't have a vaccine for the common cold. I guess it depends how important it is. Um, there's uh, big money, including Bill Gates, supporting some of these programs uh, for researching a, um, not just the research on vaccines, but actually production of big volumes of, of vaccines, of different competing vaccines, um, so that they'll be available. But I'd be, well, I think it's far too late for this year. I think next, uh, next winter, our time, or next uh, North, North American summer, I think there's a reasonable chance of having a, 
a tested and workable vaccine by then. But uh, anything before that is just far too optimistic. Okay. And one last one. If Joe Biden wins the US election, what do you think the, <laughs> what do you think the, stock, what do you think the stock market would do? Um, I think Biden uh, is Biden is going to increase uh, corporate taxes from 22% back to 28%. Uh, that if you increase corporate taxes in the US, uh, then you decrease after-tax corporate earnings, the stock markets have to go down. So by definition, Biden will be bad for the stock market. Michael Knox. Um, but we're, then we could do a whole new interview on yeah. is he going to win or is okay. and he isn't. But uh, we'll save that for another time. Most definitely. Better. When you've got your strong view on the matter, please contact me. Michael Knox from Morgan's, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. We've heard from Michael Knox, and Michael is unbelievably bullish on the Aussie dollar, and the, the history of it is quite interesting. Paul, you, you've seen uh, Knox's interview. Um, uh, do you have overseas investments? Does it make you want to hedge more? Look, Michael's very bullish, and it actually does want, want to make me hedge. I have overseas investments largely unhedged. Yeah. I mean, the argument for hedging, Peter, is about, uh, about the Australian dollar and uh, you know, where's relative value? And I think there's a lot of research that sort of says 70 to 75 cents is yeah. about fair mark for the Aussie dollar. Yep. Um, interestingly, the, the jury's sort of bit out on hedging. If you look at um, some recent research that Chant West has done in terms of benchmark super fund performance, over the last one, three, five, seven, ten, and 15 years, mm. unhedged has outperformed hedged Gee, investments. that's interesting, right? isn't it? If you go to about 20 years, it's about break even. So, yeah, you've really got to pick your moment when to hedge. Mm. And I think if you look at the data in the Australian dollar, it shows you that times under 60 cents are very rare. It's been there about five times and it bounces very quickly, mm. just as it did in, in uh, February, March this year. It bounced yep. really quickly off. It went to 57 cents and yep. a couple of weeks later was in the high sixes. Mm. Uh, and it hasn't spent too much time over 80 cents, with the exception of that period that Michael referred to about 2010. After the GFC, after a crash yep. of the market. So typically I've been sort of a, a hedge guy in the 60s mm. and take out the hedge off in the 80s. Yeah. Obviously that was a pretty tough experience during 2010, 11, 12, 13 yeah. when the Aussie just went up and stayed up. Yeah. So I'm a little bit swayed that probably now is that it is still the time to be thinking about hedging. Yeah. Uh, because clearly I think the argument about... Um, you know, the US government, we've seen today that looks like there'll be a package approved this week that will provide, you know, more relief for mm. the unemployed. They're just spending like it's out of fashion. And the US dollar is going down and the Aussie dollar is sneaking up, isn't it? Aussie right? dollar is sneaking up and commodity prices, which is the other point he raised. Of course, commodity prices are all denominated in US dollars. So if the US dollar weakens, they all tend to go up. And mm. people look at Aussie, the Aussie Aussie dollar as a commodity currency. And mm. often that's one of the reasons why it's going up when... when commodity prices are strengthening. Yeah, now I know with our financial planning business, we've often put um, our clients into IVV, that's the iShares um, ETF mm -hmm. for the S&P 500 index, which is very cheap and, and it gives you the return on US market. Is there a hedge version of that? Yeah, they've got a number of the funds, uh, both the ETFs and some of the active managers um, have uh, uh, currency hedge versions, so IVV, uh, which is tracks the US S&P 500. There's an unhedged version that trades on the ASX called IHVV. Mm. Exactly the same apart from the fact that they hedge it. So it's and the little, H is the hedging bit. The hedging is a little mm. bit. So IVV unhedged, IHVV for hedged. Um, 
it's a little more expensive, so the management fee is a yeah. little bit higher yeah. off a really low base, I should say. You're paying for the insurance, aren't but you? But you're paying for the insurance. And that's yeah. that's sort of the, the one of the downsides about hedging long term. You are paying higher costs. And of yeah. course, every cent paid out to, for something to do something takes, it's just harder in terms of returns. Mm. Uh, also, and, and less, just last week, Peter, Beta Shares came out with some... Uh, hedged currency versions of some of their popular products. So uh, mm. it's had a, it's had a, it's an ETF that tracks the NASDAQ 100. It's now got a hedged version that's also available. So you look at beta shares. Uh, some of the active fund managers like Magellan, they're probably their most important fund, their normal Magellan fund that trades on the ASX under ticket code MGE. Uh, there's also a hedged version of that, which trades under the code of MHG. Not mm. quite the same, but mm. uh, for symmetry, but MHG. So you can get currency hedge versions of a number of the products. There are some other fund managers, Peter, who argue that uh, over the long run, you know, currency tends to even itself out. Mm. There's also some data that hedging actually increases the risk because although you think you're taking out currency risk, Australia tends to be one of those sort of, you know, risk on, risk off currencies. And so when the world's sort of, you know, in, in risk off mode, as we saw back in February when, you know, there was a great, the, 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 the pandemic erupted, mm. People, the Aussie dollar went into a tailspin, mm. you know? and so there is some argument that hedging actually leads to more volatility. But uh, I think around about seventy cents is probably still value in hedging. But um, look, if Aussie keeps going up, I'll probably reassess that view a little bit. Okay, so at this point in time, you're not hedged, but you yeah, are look, thinking about. I am. Look, it's just really lack of uh, time and, and and want. You know, mm. I, I bought I, one of the, the challenges of the unhedged products is sometimes the liquidity is pretty poor. So on about the 23rd, I didn't quite get the bottom on the 24th of March, I bought uh, IVV. Mm. I really, there wasn't a decent market in the hedge version. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I just couldn't right. get set because the market was so volatile. Mm. But um, you know, as, as it turned out, I should have just been more patient, gone to the hedge version, I would have made a lot more. Yeah, um, okay. But look, yeah, I still think there's a bit of value in hedging at these levels. Paul, when the dollar is rising, it, should, should people actually just let it rise and then go long foreign investments? because? The best time to buy a foreign investment yeah. when the Australian dollar's got a really high value. Yeah, isn't it? I think that was the big lesson of 2012 to 14. Yeah, me too. You know, when the US, when the Aussie went back over a buck, it went over about 65 pence yeah. or something, went up to almost 80 euro cents. I think it even hit dollar yeah. 10 in today, yeah. didn't yeah. it? Yeah, that yeah. was the time to go and invest offshore and then just be patient. It doesn't yeah. turn around straight away. And yeah. we all said at the dollar 10, this was crazy, you know. Yeah. And it, we had and we had to live out a couple of tough years, but you know. Go, Go forward to say February this year, the Aussie dollar had halved. It mm. had gone from about a dollar fourteen down to fifty-seven cents. Right yeah. when the people are selling the Aussie, <laughs> you know, it's, the, it's like the, st the stock market. You know, goes up in stairs and comes down, the comes down in the elevator, and mm. that's what sometimes happens to the Aussie dollar. So uh, mm. I think as the Aussie dollar, if it does go up, and Michael is right, and it's yeah. a very bullish prognosis saying. Uh, I, I wrote down the words, he'd be surprised if it didn't get to at least 80 cents. Yeah. You know, know. Uh, Michael's normally a pretty conservative sort of yeah, you know, he sure, economist. He sure right? is. Uh, but, and, but Paul, it kind of implies, doesn't it, that once they, they let us travel again, uh, you know, the international holidays are going to be relatively cheaper. Yep, and that, that's the positive look forward to. So there are a lot of things we all buy that are purchased that we pay for in US dollars. Yep. Uh, so that there's upside for the, for, for the consumer for a stronger Australian dollar, even yep. though it makes makes life tough for some of our export competing industries. Well, that's Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report. That's the show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.